Good morning, Elam Chapel. Let's pray. Lord God, help us to hear your word and to hear what the Spirit is saying to us as a congregation for how we should live our lives of faith. Our Father, help us also to hear the still small voice of your Holy Spirit for what he will say to each one of us as individuals. Lord, use my words and hear our prayer. Amen. Galatians chapter 5 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another envying one another. Now, as you know, this summer we're exploring the fruit of the Holy Spirit as listed in the passage we've read from Galatians chapter 5. Last week, Laura and Nathan focused on self-control. Today, we look at joy. Now, what is joy exactly? Off the top of your head, when you hear the word joy, you might say it has something to do with being happy. Joy is a good feeling, it's a party type feeling. Do you remember the camp song from when you were a kid? I'm probably dating myself here. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart to stay. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I have the love of Jesus in my heart. Very peppy, very sprightly song. Now there's stuff about that song that's not so bad. For one thing, it connects joy to love, the love of Jesus, like Galatians does. But I suspect for many of us, especially if we have a few years and some hard things under our belts, we're just not quite so certain that joy that scripture speaks of is that perky. Or if it is, we must have missed it. So that won't do as a definition. On the other hand, if joy isn't just a happy-go-lucky attitude, it's surely not simply the opposite of that. In the face of life's sometimes hard reality, I've also heard people say, not recently, mind you, but I have heard sermons along the line of, well, life is awful and I'm sick and I'm broke, but oh, I can have the joy of the Lord even though I feel really miserable. Yep, I have the joy of the Lord, even though everything's awful. And that's not right either, is it? If joy is something that has to face up to life's realities and deal with them honestly, that's fine. But it can't just simply mean the opposite of happy without losing meaning altogether, can it? Adding a spiritual word to hard things or bad things doesn't negate them or magically turn them into good things. So somehow, if we want to understand the joy that the Holy Spirit wants us to walk in, as Paul says, we need to find a definition that still has positive meaning, but is robust enough to face honestly the hard things that will come our way. And hard things do happen just by being human and actually even more by being Christian as Jesus promised us. And so where better to start than Jesus himself? 
The stories of Jesus' birth at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke are all joy. The angel greets Mary with good news. She is blessed among women. She responds with a song of praise. When she greets Elizabeth, pregnant with John the Baptist, that he leaps in the womb with joy. Now note that neither Mary nor Elizabeth, nor Joseph, nor the angel for that matter, are unaware that this joyful event will, in the, will occur in the midst of cultural shame, of unmarried pregnancy and suspected infidelity. When Jesus is presented in the temple, the prophet Simeon also hints at something worse than whispered gossip. He says to Mary, a sword will pierce your soul. If there is joy in salvation, there will be a cost. Your child of promise will redeem the world, but he will be a suffering servant, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Yet still they celebrate, and they are right to do so, because God is at work, and his plan of rescue is about to unfold, and they have a part in it. This is good news. This is cause for joy. As Jesus moves into his ministry, things become more complicated. In his teaching, in his words, he says his whole purpose and promise is to bring life, abundant life. That sounds like joy, if anything does. Yet he equally promises pain and persecution. In his actions, he welcomes the good things of life, parties with sinners, turns water to wine to ensure the celebration of a wedding continues undiminished, and most wonderfully ends the misery of chronic illness and even death for the ordinary people and the outcasts who find welcome in his presence. Yet he will weep at the death of a friend and multiple times barely escape capture and death and agonizes in the throes of demonic temptation. Jesus' most direct references to joy occur at the end of his ministry as he looks back at the time with his disciples and looks ahead to prepare for the cross. John 15 verses 9 to 12, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And John also records his prayer for his disciples. John 17, beginning at verse 12, while I was with them, I protected them, the disciples, and kept them safe by that name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. So what then is this joy that Jesus spoke of, that he promised, that his intention that we would have the full measure of his joy? Jesus, in, in these prayers and in this teaching, looks on his ministry. He looks back on his time with his disciples and he sees that he has accomplished what was required. 
None has been lost. I have protected them. I kept them safe. And this is ultimately joy, that deep satisfaction and assurance that God's plans will be accomplished, that they cannot be thwarted, and that we can be a part of that, even in the midst of deep pain and personal sacrifice. This is the joy that Christ knows, even as he suffers in Gethsemane and agonizes at Calvary. He knows that his work is finished, that God's plan has been and will be accomplished, and that even Satan, that great adversary himself, cannot take that away. This is the joy that Christ intends for us. He doesn't despise or begrudge the times of celebration and happy fellowship, but the full measure of his joy will be related to obedience and love, like our Savior. And now some practical thoughts. So if this is the joy meant for us, how can, how can this be manifest in our lives? What will it look like in our lives? We are not the Lord Jesus Christ. In many of my hardest moments, I'm not at all sure that I accomplished what I was supposed to. I may just have messed up. What does joy mean for us? And how can the fruit of joy grow in my life? Well, consider the metaphor that St. Paul used. Joy, peace, patience. They are fruit. They are a plant. They are something that grows. And how can this metaphor be helpful to us in this question? Well, consider this. I am not at all a great gardener, but in the last couple of years, since, especially since I've been retired, I've had a bit more time to try to focus on the yard and growing plants and flowers. And last year, I discovered the Manitoba Gardener Facebook page. Now the people who post there range from very beginning gardeners to those who are so good at it, I swear you could hire them to manage royal palaces. There are people who have been at this for literally decades on the same prairie patch of land and others who have moved here from halfway around the world and are brave enough to ask questions to help them identify dandelions. Frankly, it's what Facebook was probably meant for. Pretty much everybody there is happy and just keen and eager to grow things, to get rid of weeds and pests that stop you from growing things, and to help other people grow things. Any question is a good question, and no one cares if you are good at gardening yet, provided you also are keen on growing things. And there are some things that I see in this group and in the gardening metaphor that fit our discussion of joy. First, if joy is something like a fruit that grows, it is not something that I manufacture or make out of my own skills and abilities. I can't make a strawberry. I can't make the flowers or the tomatoes in my yards. I can't build these things. So joy too, and the other fruit of the spirit, it's not something I manufacture on my own, out of my own resources. Gardening is almost miraculous, isn't it? It's just that we're so used to the process that we can forget how amazing it is to start with a small seed and end up with abundance of fruit and flowers, feasts, 
and fragrance. The Facebook gardeners reflect this delight in growth. If joy happens, it will also be something that reflects this natural yet almost miraculous outgrowth of the work of God in my life. The fruit of the Spirit will not be reflected in my life apart from the work of Christ. It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose, as we are reminded in Philippians. And yet, though there is a sense in gardening that you have nothing to do with it, things grow because that is their nature. I sure notice that those Facebook gardeners are awfully busy. They're hunting for ways to make the garden more productive, on search and destroy missions for invasive weeds, figuring out which insects are good and what to do about the destructive ones, watering, fertilizing, composting diligently. So too, we can pursue joy in our life with this same diligence to weed out, as it were, our anxious thoughts, our envy, to water our lives with prayer and scripture, to soften the hard soil of our disobedient inclinations and maybe most importantly of all, to encourage and love one another, celebrating success, helping each other over our failures, like those Facebook gardeners do. Because finally, if joy is like a plant that grows, I shouldn't be surprised if there are failures and if things take time. Fully formed fruit only shows up magically in the grocery store. In reality, this is a long process, from seed to plant to flower to fruit, maybe even years before you taste that fully ripened sweetness. So too, if the fruit of the Spirit, if joy, is to characterize my life, it is likely that it will be the work of a lifetime. Do not be discouraged. Be like the gardeners on that Facebook group. The ones who are still learning things and still excited about learning things after decades of gardening. I leave you with the final word on joy using another metaphor that the metaphor of a race from Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore we also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Go in peace. Go in joy.